0: listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. On today's program, we're going to examine whether or not people have become robots or androids or cyborgs via artificial intelligence. Now, the, the answer should be, you know, almost uh, automatic. But in reality, the answer to that question, and I'm not trying to make a funny rhyme, though, that. <laughs> Uh, the, the answer to that program is not automatic. It's problematic. Okay, when I was a kid, I was a huge reader of science fiction novels. Or the Golden Age of Science Fiction, it was called. And I read, you know, all the books of people like Isaac Asimov, who wrote uh, iRobot, and he wrote a whole series on robot science fiction, and uh, Robert Heinlein. and uh, who wrote stranger in a strange land and but there were a lot of other people who wrote science fiction books on on robots so that was way back then and since that time i mean we we all thought about it you know in kind of a just like back when i was a kid we thought about and it was really considered a very weird subject but, but people thought about thought about it and talked about it all the time that the day would come once upon a time in the future, the day would come when people would be wearing uh, wristwatches that were both wristwatches, but they would also be uh, wireless telephones. They would be video and audio recorders. You could watch you know, all these different channels. You could talk to people visually with you know, face type, face-to-face communication like Skype or Zoom or whatever. Social media, and so that was considered those those pictures and, and magazines and stuff of a futuristic day when people would have a, a wristwatch that would be like their own portable TV. That was considered so outrageously futuristic. It was like it was like the the, the, the stupid uh, television show, black old old black and white TV show. What was it called? The Jetsons. Like Jet and J E T, futuristic family, the Jetsons. And and so so that was the future. Okay, the really far off future. So so imagine you're sitting somewhere, let's say you're sitting in your living room or bedroom or wherever. You're sitting there in your chair and you're watching whatever screen you're looking at, H D, whatever. Uh, whatever screen you're looking at, you're looking at this large screen TV, and you're watching a movie. Let's say you're watching a, a rerun of Isaac Asimov's movie, uh, I, Robot, that, that starred the uh, actor uh, Will Smith. Uh, this was before Will Smith punched the comedian face and <laughs> at the Academy Awards. I'm not laughing because somebody got hurt. I'm not laughing because the thing was so stupid. It was incredible. I mean I mean you know I'm tempted to go into something on like that, but I'm not going to so anyway uh iRobot is it's, a, it's a, about a one robot who breaks from the pack of robots and and, and stops being a robot and starts to think for himself. see the whole basis of the movie and 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 why men like uh, Isaac Asimov were so brilliant is they they were like prophets, they were like secular scientific prophets. That they didn't believe in god they believed in science but but they 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 used their minds at, to such a high degree that they would conceptualize they would conceptualize things in such a way like in in the context of a of a novel form they would contextualize things in such a way that that they would envision the dangers that were on the horizon for mankind if and when certain technologies were finally invented, so they were secular scientific prophets, um, and and many of them were atheists. But they but they understood science, and they understood better than almost anybody. In fact, they were so advanced that when I used to live up in the Hollywood Hills, I moved there in 1986, up on Lookout Mountain Avenue. Uh, and I moved there in 1986 when I was, produced, was the executive producer of a science fiction feature film called uh, Wired to Kill. At That time, my wife was an actress. So I was living up in Lookout Mountain. I didn't know it at the time. And I'm, and I'm not a believer in synchronicity in, in the sense of it being a mystical force like Carl Jung would, would theorize. But there is something to – there's something partially true let's say about this this scientific inquiry into the, the concept of synchronicity that how things how apparently different things will for no apparent reason s- seem to sync up or synchronize up together and it's weird you I don't want to get, go into it but you you've experienced it in your life many times chance meetings you know you you have you met some you meet somebody somewhere in a different city, a city that you never go to um, the last time you saw this individual was thirty years ago, and you you quote accidentally bump into her or him in an obscure place in Manhattan, New York City now I'm talking about something that really happened to me a college buddy of mine that I hung out with. And I, you know, and he he got miraculously saved, by the way, at the same time I did. And he was as wild and crazy, or almost as wild and crazy as I was, at the University of Missouri. And so, I got saved, but then, uh, at a certain point, I backslid because I wasn't rooted and grounded in the Word of God. I wasn't properly discipled. I I, I didn't have a biblical worldview. So my my, my The anchor to my faith was weak. Okay, so decades go by. I haven't seen this guy. I haven't thought about him. Maybe I thought about him. I don't know. I hadn't seen this guy. And I'm in Grand Central Station. That's that building you, you see me in uh, with the American flags and the giant blocks. That's the interior of Grand Central Station, where the photograph for the cover, uh, Power from on High, was taken. So I'm in Grand Central Station. And, and in Grand Central Station, besides that massive area where the clocks are and stuff, where you see me standing, there on the second level, there's this giant, like, tubular corridor, where where there's these two escalators, large escalators, an up escalator and a down escalator, that helps to transport people up from the trains that they took into the city, or conversely, they're taking this uh, escalator. Downward to the trains that they're going to take to leave New York City and so there's no it's not an open area it's just like you're in this in this tube um, and you can see windows of the outside of New York like the the, the the sky and stuff but that's it you can't really see anything else besides that okay so I get on the escalator okay I'm going up on the escalator which is like you know a couple of minutes it takes a couple of minutes to go up on the escalator So you get to the. For me, I was getting up to the street level, whereas he was going into to to get another train. So I happened I happened to see this guy. He looks familiar. I said to myself. In the meantime, his eye caught my eye, and he had the same puzzled expression. Like, do I know? Do I know this guy? Me, you know. And I'm saying the same thing about him. And and all of a sudden, you know, bam. Thirty years have gone by, and and I recognize this guy. This was this is a a a good buddy of mine that I hung out with in college. Okay, and 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 uh, so the point is is this: the college, of course, was the University of Missouri, where I was majoring in altered states of consciousness and filmmaking. He gets radically saved there. I get radically saved, but but I backslid. But then I <laughs> repented of my backsliding, and I came back to the Lord shortly after I backslid. So by the time I went back to New York City, I had already repented, and and returned to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I had already begun to walk with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Uh, when I when but I, I mean I returned to the Jesus as my Lord at the University of Missouri after backsliding, and then I returned to the Lord. Uh, And then um, I'm now walking with the Lord, you know, decades have gone by and I can just see by his face, his demeanor, his posture and everything that, that forgot what he was majoring I really, but the weight of the world and sin was on his face, if you know what I mean, you know, he looked like, you know how some people look, you you can't just judge people, but some people look like alcoholics, oh yeah, he had a business suit on, he, was probably, I mean, I don't know how successful he was. I would say he's relatively successful for his company to fly him you know, into different cities to meet with clients. And ju- judging by his business attire, it had to be a upper scale corporation that he worked for. So we talked and stuff, but to, but to the point that we, we we both couldn't believe how on earth because I shared some I shared some of the most secretive. It's in the book uh miraculous things that have ever happened to me, which I write down in my book, Power from On High. He was the guy that was with me when we were like four stories down. Now now we we had both were wild radical partiers, okay? So the excess it was not even there was no such we didn't believe in the word excess. There was the only thing we believed in was, you know, eat, drink and be merry. With an emphasis on the drink and being merry. So, so we like we we were the type of guys that were either all in or all out. So, of course, when we when we were sinners rebelling from God, we were all into that party lifestyle of the 60s, 70s, okay? We were all in. All right? Conversely, when we backslid and des- decided to party hardy, if you know what I mean, then then uh, we were again all in and with the partying again. We were all in either way, so we were all in backsliding and all in partying, and then, at least for me, and not for him at that time, but I believe that was one of the reasons I God had me meet him. In fact, you know what I couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out until right now talking to you from the studio of Paul McGuire Ministries. It never quite clicked in my mind. It should be, it's, it's so obvious. Everyone, every one of you listening, you already you figured this out, you already got this. There are times when I could be incredibly slow. And now it just clicked, the, the light clicked on, and it's obvious to me why I met him in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't synchronicity. It was God. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ divinely arranged for us to meet each other in in almost a physically, humanly impossible way and manner. As a, and it was specifically as a sign to him and also as a sign to me that it, God is God and God doesn't forget the prayers you pray. Because he was the guy. We, I used to hang out at a Christian coffee house on the campus of the University of Missouri. He was with me it was kind of called the new wine coffee house and it was a bunch of ex uh hippies from california long hair old king james bibles you know heavy on the bible prophecy teaching and they had a ministry right there on kind of like the college main street and we we would go there and me in a christian coffee house come on why would i go there there was no booze you know you you know you couldn't chase women in a in a In a Christian coffee house, I mean you could chase them, but that, that's all you'd be doing chasing the women maybe make looking for a lost puppy or something, but that was a bad joke <laughs> sorry <laughs> terrible joke, horrible joke. I deeply apologize okay so um, uh and you can't make jokes like that in today's world so, you know not, I don't even I, I do I'm aware because I hang out with young people a lot but of a certain age category. If it wasn't them, I mean I I see movies and TV and stuff too, but if it wasn't for the, the younger generation, and some of you think the younger generation I'm talking about it would be older. I'm talking about people in their thirties. You think that's old. Well I I I got the basic parameters of what the new social rules are which change like every three months. Um uh, I tr I I avoid for, for multiple reasons. I it's not that I'm chicken, believe me I'm not. I'm up for I'm up for a confrontation verbally. I'm not talking about yelling, and screaming, but if you want to debate me, you name the time. No, I'll name the time and the place and we'll debate but you're going to lose and you're going to you're going to go home crying to mom. I promise you that. I know that's arrogant and full of myself, but I'm I'm a sinner saved by grace. I never claim to be a, a, the greatest uh the purest, most holy, most uh loving guy in the world. I never claimed that, but what I do claim to be is a, is a sinner saved by grace. Okay, so so anyway, I meet this guy in the middle of nowhere. It's an odd place. I mean, if I had met him standing by the clock, that still would have been weird. You know, those big clocks you see on the cover of my book, Power of Monarch, giant American flags behind them. If, if, if I had met him there, that would have been weird, symbolic, and freaky in and of itself. But meeting in this tubular passageway that, that goes up in a, like a perpendicular angle from one floor to the other in, uh, on an escalator, where, where in the timing of the escalator, see, I don't want to be redundant. I'm assuming people everywhere know enough about escalators to get what I'm talking about. In New York, you take an escalator's constantly If you're in a shopping mall, you can probably use escalators a lot also. Okay, so anyway, timing is everything in an escalator. So in the escalator, he had to have gotten on that escalator. I don't know. I'm going to mathematically guesstimate. He mathematically had to have gotten onto that escalator, uh, I would say, from memory, 45 seconds before I did. And he's traveling at a downward speed. His point of view is uninterrupted. I mean, there's some people there, but there's nothing, there's no object blocking his point of view. I probably got on the escalator uh, close to 60 seconds uh, after he did, okay? So what that meant is that he had a totally uh, clear view, but he had a better view than me because there was, like, nobody blocking his view. As I was going up the escalator, there were some people standing on the escalator going up that who partially blocked my view. So even after I got on the escalator, I couldn't quite have an open field of vision. But when I finally did, um, and then when I finished wondering whether gee, that guy looks like this guy that used to be my good friend in college. Uh, And then I looked into his eyes and I looked into his face and I go, oh, my God, that is him. What is he doing here? I mean, we were in this is in such. You could live in New York City. Your entire life in Manhattan, and this is a, 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 a up and down escalator in Grand Central Station, but it's tucked away to the side, so it's in a kind of a secretive location. And you could be in New York City your you know the majority of your life, and most people wouldn't even know where that escalator. heavy duty commuters would, who take the trains, but the average person in New York City would would never have ever known about this. It was almost a secret up-and-down escalator on the side of the building up on the second floor, okay? It was just tucked away in a weird, hidden place. So it's not the kind of place where you would, you would run into somebody. Now, if you made a list of potential statistical places where you might just bump into somebody sometime in the future, that would not have been on the list, because it's too out of the way. Well, guess what? God is God. Jesus is Lord. So. I see him, he sees me, bam, um, we make the hand motion, we both know what that means, which is what the fingers and stuff it's like it meant uh, it meant I'll, I'll meet you at the at the base of this uh, since since you're going down, I'm gonna meet you at the base of the escalator, just you know wait for me, and I know we were shouting too, so he knew what I, we we communicated, you know, wait there, we'll meet and talk, so we did that, we both got off our escalators, we met and talked on a. On, a, on like the mid-level, which is often like a like cement platform. And then we talked there, and then we walked around for a short bit. But Because he, he had to run. He had to catch another plane. In fact, now that I remember the story, the whole story, I met him in the escalator. But he was taking that escalator to a specific train in Grand Central Station that would get him to the airport because he had to make, make a flight. He, he had literally only like five, ten minutes to talk because he, he had to make a critical connection for a flight flying out of, uh, I forgot it. They changed the name of the airport. When I was a kid, the airport was called LaGuardia Airport after Mayor LaGuardia. I don't know what it's called now. It could still be LaGuardia. I don't know. Whatever the name of the airport, he, he had to get to that airport on time. So he didn't have a whole lot of time. So we had to, like, compress our conversation. And the first part of our conversation was just, being told, both of us were collectively mind blown over the fact that here we were after all these years and we meet up literally in the middle of nowhere in the most obscure place surrounded by like 20 million people and it's like this is this is beyond the synchronicity this is bizarre beyond bizarre so i managed you know as we christians do we managed to to insert little little phrases you know, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm not embarrassed by saying that, by the way. I don't give a you-know-what about what somebody thinks about me. So if I if I choose with my will, okay, I really want this to sink in for some of you. I'm not talking down on anyone. I'm giving, hopefully, some people a, a kick in the tush. Tush, of course, is a New York word for your posterior. I'm giving you a, a, a sorely needed kick in the tush to motivate you not to be such a social wimp and have some, you know, what, some, uh, you know, I know what you think I was going to say, but notice I didn't say it. Okay. Uh, So I'm giving you, some of you, not all of you, some of you are very good at this. Some of you are far better than I am, but I'm giving you a kick in the tush to motivate you to step up to the plate and be more socially aggressive and employ the social god-given social skills that we both know that you have in abundance that everybody everybody that knows you knows that you have incredibly powerful social skills so we know that's a gift that God has given you in your life high powered social skills so my question to you is this why are you not using your high powered social skills for Jesus Christ why are not you not using those high powered social skills in terms of winning people to Christ, influencing people for Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Why? why? But there, you have no excuse. Because you have those gifts, you're accountable to use them. So so the point is, you, you know what I'm talking about. Many of you do. You you use your social gifts, your people skills, it's another way you can say it. You use your high-level people skills, as I've seen many Christians do quite superbly, You use your high-level people skills to—there's nothing wrong with manipulating the conversation. Manipulating the conversation means you're the one guiding it because you have an objective. You have a destination. So you're guiding and and using your people skills to get to your destination. You only have a few minutes with a long-lost friend who, who, who shared some of the most precious moments that you had with Jesus together. You haven't seen him in decades. And he looks like that he's not been living, you know, right with the Lord. And so you want this brief interaction to to, to count because you realize, obviously, God, knowing exactly what's happening, God arranged this meeting. God arranged this meeting for you to meet this friend of yours. And so that you would be a, you would be a living reminder of the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ lit up in front of his face. And that's because that's what he would remember. Is the last time he saw Paul Maguire, he had returned to the Lord, and the last time he saw Paul Maguire, Paul Maguire had backslidden again. And we shared prior to that some supernatural experiences that I don't have time to go into at the moment that'll blow your mind. like Like the, the secret prayer room of the new wine coffee house was literally five stories deep down under the pavement of the street and the and the floor of the New Wine Coffee House. And you go into these back rooms, and you and you climb down these, you know, I don't know what they were, fire ladders, metallic fire, lighter, uh, uh, fire lighters, fire lighters, whatever they were, I don't know what they were. Oh, ladders, ladders, not these fire ladders. Then, you, you, then you'd go down one full floor, and there'd be these giant wheels you'd turn. And so it was some kind of pumping room of water or a main valve for something. And then you'd go down and you'd be on another floor with different instruments and different mechanical devices that were huge. And so by the time you hit bottom, we, we had gone down four, four large floors deep, deep underground somewhere under the streets of Columbia, Missouri. You, you couldn't hear anything. You couldn't hear a car. You couldn't hear anything. So we, people would go down there, we were told, and that's why we were down there, is to pray and seek God and cry out to God. And so him and I began to pray, okay? And we, do, we didn't know much about prayer. We just prayed like the people who had taken us down there before. So we prayed in a similar manner. And so in the similar manner that we prayed, it was you know, something like, oh Lord, we praise your name, Jesus. Because we were taught that you entered the courts of God with praise and thanksgiving. So you praise the Lord out loud. You thank the Lord out loud with praise and thanksgiving. So you just don't go... The way you you go into the courtroom of God is you have your sins have to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You have to to praise the Lord out loud and give the Lord out loud thanksgiving. This is all. These are all passages in, in the Bible which teach you how to unlock the doorway into the kingdom of God. How to unlock the doorway to get into the secret place of the Most High God. And for for some weird reason, the quietest place was four stories deep underground, Columbia, Missouri, where the University of Missouri was. So we're praying out loud, Lord, we praise your name, we worship you. Now that could be construed as nothing more than emotionalism. Could even be suggested that you're just you're just hyping yourself up into a spiritual state of mind, and that any 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 you know goosebumps you might have after that are could solely be attributed to. The, the, the praising of the Lord out loud, the, the worshiping of God out loud, and things of that nature. That, that, in other words, the case could be made argumentative. i can't even talk to argumentatively the case could be made that you're psychologically whipping yourself up into kind of like a self-induced, hypnotic altered state of consciousness. And that's not really God at all. It's a bunch of hyped-up emotions which alter your brain chemistry. Your 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 neur- your neurochemistry, and when your brain chemistry is altered, and your neurochemistry is op- uh, altered, then your body and brain and mind begin to super produce neurological chemicals known as serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. No, not oxy the drug, the street drug. It has similarities, but oxytocin that's the super powerful hormone. That gives a mother this over this overflowing love for her baby child, her son or her daughter, the reason the mother is enraptured and in total love with her daughter or son when the daughter or son is a baby uh, and the reason and i 'm not trying to be vulgar, but I do need to be clinical. the reason the mother and the child bond so super deeply the mother and child. The mother and daughter, the mother and son bond so super deeply when they're together, especially when the mother is breastfeeding her son or daughter. Because when a mother breastfeeds her son or daughter, it releases that flood of biochemicals that that transform brain chemistry and release a flood of deeply powerful uh, positive emotions. Okay, that flow through your brain and your blood. Stuff like serotonin, which is like a tranquil high, but it's a very tranquil high. Serotonin is also known as the runner's high. You know, people who do a lot of running, racing. At a certain point, when they're working out and they do a lot of running and racing, they experience the runner's high. Serotonin. Simultaneously, people can receive dopamine, which is another hormone and chemical, and dopamine. Is a super motivator biochemistry drug. So if you if you have uh, you know you can't get anything done, you, you're confused in the morning, you, you're bewildered, you're not productive, you're not motivated, you can't seem to lock in and focus. If you stimulate your brain or expose your brain to dopamine, not dope, but dopamine, all of a sudden you'll be super motivated. You'll feel like you can conquer the world. You'll feel strong, alert, focused, mentally clear. But most of all, and anybody who's in a creative endeavor, anybody who's a businessman, anybody who's a salesman, anybody who does anything where he or she has to produce for a living, you know know what I'm about to say, okay? What I'm about to say is that dopamine, when dopamine is going through your, your veins, you are in a super motivational state a high productive state, they also call this you enter the zone. The zone is an altered state of consciousness produced by your body and your biochemicals that puts you in the perfect uh, biochemical zone of enhanced performance, peak performance, and as long as your body, soul, and spirit are percolating away with those with those up biochemicals and those motivational biochemicals, you're going to be a superman and a superwoman and a super producer. And you will not be wondering what you should be doing. You will be hyper motivated and hyper productive. And then, so, what happens is that is akin to what's called a state of consciousness. A state of consciousness, it's like pretend you're tele- your, your mind is like you can turn into different television channels, where certain television channels are horror movies and confusion and stuff like that. Other television channels, could represent uh, the, what's called the flow state or uh, and enter the zone. Entering the zone or entering the flow state is when all these powerful biochemicals, neurological chemicals, start to line up uh, in synchronization. And when they line up in synchronization, you, they, they, they exponentially enhance one another and you go into a flow state. Going into a flow state, it's it's just like you were pretend for a moment you were a super award winning surfer, okay? And now some surfers, you know, you watch some surfers whose performance is okay, but not fabulous. Some surfers, uh, they they struggle and they get neurotic and they they beat themselves up and they and they 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 are very harsh on themselves. It's their imperfect way of attempting to motivate themselves to, to produce the highest level of performance. But the highest level of performance is what happens when you teach your brain and your mind to enter a flow state, or to teach your brain and mind to enter a heightened state of consciousness or an enhanced state of consciousness. Then, in a flow state, in a high performance state, you stop struggling. You stop You stop neurotically whipping yourself, screaming at yourself to produce more and more and work harder and harder. Because all of that is counterproductive behavior, counterproductive thinking patterns. You, re, you, you discipline yourself. You teach yourself. You teach yourself how to reprogram yourself. You teach yourself how to reprogram yourself so that at will you can learn how to enter a flow state. Or an enhanced state of consciousness. When you're in an enhanced state of consciousness, or a flow state, everything clicks together. It's like it's like you're surfing through life. You're on the, you're hanging ten on on the surfboard. You're in perfect balance. No matter what wave comes at you, how hard or how unexpected, you manage to navigate yourself in wonderful ocean sprayed choreography with the sun sparkling you manage to navigate yourself around the, the waves with, that will just pull you down and, and take you out of the game. Instead, you're able, you, you enter, you're in the zone, man. And when you're in the zone, you and the ocean wave are one. And when you see the perfect wave, it's like you say, hello, perfect wave, and the perfect wave says hello to you back. You're on a first name basis, you and the perfect perfect wave. And you ride that perfect wave, but you're one with the perfect wave. Your balance is perfect. you catch the wave at just the right moment. You ride the wave at just the right moment. Every decision you make as you're riding this perfect wave is the right decision, and it all comes together as you as you enter this flashbang uh, flow state <clears throat> and you're, and you' you are you are transcendent, you are transcendently above and beyond. The the existential crisis, and you are flying high in the bliss. It's almost, it's almost like a religious experience. You are flying high in the bliss of high performance. Now, that's surfing. I've seen guys on football, <clears throat> and the other players will recognize it. They're in a flow state. And while they're in that flow state, their football performance, their basketball performance, it's like they get in a zone. <clears throat> And everything they do, uh, figuratively speaking, becomes magical. They, they Every aspect of their performance is just, you know, they hit a home run. They catch the ball at the right time. They avoid the tacklers. Their the quarterback hurls that football beyond human ability and lands it like a baby uh, in the cradle of his arms, and his team against all odds wins. And, and see, sometimes, not sometimes, many times, the flow state, is, is like a contagious, it, it's a, it's a, it's a it, many times a flow state is a consciousness, it's a mindset, it's a vibe that, that no longer stay. it's an energy, actually it really is an energy on a scientific basis, it is an energy field that passes from one player to another, and the next thing you know, the entire team is caught up in the flow state. And caught up in the flow states, they, they, they seem to perform with with uh, the function of invincibility. Wow, that's heavy stuff. Okay, so back to the subway. It's like the use of secular athletic, psycho, uh, athletic psychology, et cetera, verbiage. We were in some kind of flow state. We met each other in the middle of nowhere in Manhattan. It shouldn't have happened. I'm telling you a million times over, it should never have happened. God made it happen. It wasn't a random flow state. And by the way, for those of you that are a little too far trippy on the New Age stuff, let me remind you that what you are you are committing a, an era in philosophical reductionism because the reality is that unbelievably syn- synchronicity that you experienced that couldn't have happened in a million years, that weird thing that happened that shouldn't have happened, okay? it the reason it happened is your loving heavenly father rang your doorbell or uh programmed your cell phone to call you your loving heavenly father programmed your cell phone to call you and he called you and he said i'm going to i'm going to call you now and i'm going to connect you with somebody and you're going to know from where you received the call where the call was transmitted the time and all the particulars you're going to know that you know that you know that you know that this call had a divine purpose, a supernatural. there was a supernatural plan behind it, and that this call was a supernaturally charged call, and that's because I've been trying to reach you many different ways, but you've been, you know, shirking me off and basically telling me to get lost. I'm a long-suffering God, but guess what, baby? Today is your day where I lose my patience in a loving way. So this is the day where I pull up lovingly, And gently I pull up the carpet from under your feet because you need to get grounded in reality. And when I yank that carpet up from under your feet, your behind goes smack on the floor. And suddenly you come to your senses and you realize, oh, my God, the reason I met this guy on on a tubular uh, uh, escalator in the middle of nowhere in Manhattan is because the last time I saw this guy, Paul McGuire, he was as backslidden as, as a backslider could be drunking, partying, taking drugs, chasing women, you know the list. He was like out there, he was a wild man that, that needed to find a leash so he could get home. And so the thing of it is is that I, the Lord God, King of the universe, prearranged before the beginning of time that you and and Paul McGuire would have a, a meeting that obviously no human being could arrange. And so you did. The reason you saw him and he saw you In this obscure, in the middle of nowhere place is because guess what, Charlie? And if you're a girl, guess what, Susie? It wasn't an accident. It wasn't in a coincidence. The Lord is saying to you, I'm going to tell you what I believe the Lord is saying to you. The Lord is saying to you, none of this was a coincidence. None of this was happen chance. All of this was by my divine plan. By my divine plan, I, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, decreed before the foundation of the world that you, two should meet. Because I wanted you, because I love you so much. I've been pursuing you all these years, and you've turned your back on me. But because I loved you so much, I made divine arrangements for you to meet up with your college friend, who you know the last time you saw this guy, he was backslidden and out of commission. You knew it. But I brought you face-to-face with him on an escalator in the Transit Authority station in in New York City. I brought you face-to-face with him so that you could look in his eyes. And I know what you saw in his eyes because I created his eyes. What you saw in Paul McGuire's eyes was not the same Paul McGuire you saw during his backslidden days at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. What you saw in Paul McGuire as you and he collided into each other on the escalator train at the Transit Authority, what you saw in Paul McGuire his eyes were blazing with the light of Jesus Christ He his face was lit up like the Shekinah glory of God had hit him like a lightning bolt and there was a like a like a, the only way to describe it, there was an aura generating from him. There was a There wasn't an aura because that's a New Age word. The Lord was continuing to speak to you, and the Lord says to you, looks at you right in the eye, tells you what I just told you, and then the Lord said these words to you. Listen, because the Lord's speaking to you now. This isn't an accidental. This conversation that you're listening to is not an accident. It's true. It really happened, and the Lord has a personal message for you contained in it. So this is the part of the personal message that God is delivering home. Straight into your heart, God is saying to you, the whole purpose of that divine, supernatural encounter that you experienced between yourself and your old friend Paul McGuire, the whole purpose of that supernatural and divine encounter was so that when you looked upon Paul McGuire's countenance, when you looked upon Paul McGuire's eyes, the glistening, the joy, and the light in his eyes, when when you saw. Paul Maguire, as it appeared when you first looked at him, the real reason you couldn't quite look at him was part of you realized that you weren't looking at the same Paul Maguire that you were looking at, you know, like 30 years ago. You were looking at an entirely new and different Paul Maguire who was caught up and clothed in the glory of God. So the Paul Maguire you were staring at on the escalator was the Paul McGuire that had been downloaded with the glory of God for for a solid 30 years, a solid 30 years passed by before you finally ran into Paul McGuire again on the escalator deep in the center of Manhattan, New York City. You ran into Paul McGuire after 30 years of you running around in the wilderness, boozing it up you know, partying and basically getting wasted. But I wanted you to see something. And the Lord is speaking to you kindly and lovingly, and the Lord has lots of forgiveness for you. The Lord said, number one, notice that the last time you saw Paul McGuire, he was backslidden. Notice also that there's no way on earth that you could perceive that Paul McGuire is backslidden today. And the day you saw Paul McGuire, there was no way in the world you could classify him as backslidden. That that presence in Paul McGuire that was so powerful. What I allowed you to see was the glory of God, the anointing of God, and literally, what I allowed you to see, I'm going to repeat it in sequence again, what I allowed you to see in in the escalator tucked away in in Manhattan, New York, what I allowed you to see was the glistening light of the Lord Jesus Christ in his eyes. I allowed you to see the glory of God poured out all over his uh, body, soul, and spirit. I allowed you to see the glory of God that was being poured out upon him, and I allowed you to see the glory of God that was being poured out from within him. I allowed you to see that supernatural flow that supernatural divine flow of the Holy Spirit moving through him. I allowed you to see what most men and women cannot see, because it can only be spiritually appraised. And then the Lord said to you, I allowed you to see all this because the time has come, and it's his, the guy's name was Mark, now that I remember it. The time has now come, Mark, for you to come home to the family of God where you truly belong. And if you think I won't accept you back, you're wrong, Mark. Because look at Paul McGuire. Paul McGuire. Last time you saw Paul McGuire, he would have been staying in the prodigal's. The prodigal son. He would have been living where the prodigal son and his buddies lived. You know, hanging out with with the party people and and pigs and everything else. So if if I can forgive Paul McGuire for all of his sins, and let me tell you something, Paul McGuire has a long list of sins. That he needed forgiveness for. If I can forgive you of that long list of sins that you've committed, then can't I most certainly forgive? If I can forgive Paul McGuire of all those sins, can't I most certainly forgive you of all of your sins if you'll simply ask me to forgive you of your sins in Jesus' name? And you know, Mark, if you'll ask me to forgive you of your sins in my name, and if you'll ask me to Come into your life and become born again. You know, Mark, that I will forgive you of your sins by the blood of Jesus, and I will cleanse you of all of your sins by the blood of Jesus. You know, I will do all of these things for you. You know that, Mark, because you know the Bible well enough to know that God is no respecter of persons. Wow. God is no respecter of persons. That means you, listening to me, Paul McGuire, the guy in in the true story, I just recounted to you, listen to me good and listen to me fast. It doesn't doesn't take a whole long to say the really important stuff. Number one, God Almighty loves you, and God Almighty, no matter what you have done, no matter how horrible your sins, no matter how much you deserve judgment, no matter how much you've spit on me and betrayed me and lied to me in, in hundreds of different ways, says the Lord. I, the Lord, am ready to totally forgive you today. I, the Lord, am ready to totally wipe away all of your sins, past, present, and future, through the blood of Jesus Christ. I am ready right now. Do you hear me? I am ready right now to cleanse you of all of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is ask me in faith, and when you ask me in faith to be forgiven of all your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, I will cleanse you of all of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know what your sins were. I don't know what you did. I don't know when you did it. I don't know how horrible they were, whether they were... The world categorizes everything. They either downplay a sin or they magnify a sin. And and I'm God, and I'm telling you right now, the only thing that really matters besides my word, what I'm telling you right now, what really matters is how I perceive how I judge your sins, because I alone, says God, I alone, God the Father, I alone am the uh, judge of the entire universe, and I alone am God Almighty, I alone am the Supreme Being. And one day you will either stand before me, cleansed through the blood of Jesus, or one day you will stand right before me, One day you will stand right before me in a place called the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And when you stand before me, Mark, in the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a total evaluation of your life. And I'm going to give you a summary of what you did with your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I alone, because I'm God, make the final decision. So, that day is called the day of. Um, well, that day is uh, is the day where you are going to, and along with the angels of God, you're going to stand in my presence and the presence of any other person who claims to be a Christian or any other person who wants to get into heaven. You're going to stand before me, and we're going to examine together whether or not your name is written in the book of life. And if your name is not written in the book of life, then you will uh, be held accountable for everything you did down here on earth. Okay? Two choices. I'm making this really simple for you. Just think of a Chinese restaurant menu. Two from column A, one from column B, however you like it. Here's the choice you have. The first choice is you can choose to receive all of my forgiveness by faith in Jesus Christ. You can choose to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and if you do those things, I will cleanse you of all of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. I will cleanse you of all of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you will be completely clean and completely new, says the Lord to you. Now, if you choose to reject um, my free offer of salvation in Christ Jesus, if you choose to reject that, if you choose instead to stand before me on your own terms, and standing before me on your own terms simply means you are now daring to choose to stand before me based on your spiritual performance, based on your religious performance, how many good works versus how many bad works. If you, the Lord's saying to you now, wake up. If you choose to stand me, to stand before me based on oh, how many good works you did versus how many bad works you did, if that's if that's how you want to play this, the Lord is saying to you, I warn you with the utmost severity, not to stand before me and, and to see if your name is written in the book of life, because the law of the book of life is that you have to be 100 percent pure, 100 percent perfect in all of your. Spiritual life and all of your commitment to my laws of love. And if you fail even one iota in keeping all of my dictates, all of my commandments, if you fail even in one iota, it will be the equivalent in failing in all areas. And if you fail either in one area or if you fail in all areas, you will be guilty. Just as guilty as if you had actually committed every single one of the sins. Because that's the way the law of my kingdom works. Now, I'm giving you an opportunity. You saw Paul McGuire's face today in Manhattan in the middle of nowhere. I presented him before you to show you a physical example of just how willing I am to totally forgive you of all of your sins. If you will come to me now, if you will come to me now, and ask me for the forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you do that with humility, and you do that sincerely, I will answer your prayer. I will forgive you of all of your sins on the basis of the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us of all sins. And now that all of your sins have been cleansed and done away with through the blood of Jesus, now that you've come to Jesus and asked to be forgiven of all of your sins, now that you've come to Jesus and invited Jesus Christ to come into your life personally and make you born again, now that you've done all those things in a new and living way, I, the Lord, have decided that although you are worthy of judgment, I, the Lord, have decided that I am willing to grant you a reprieve, to grant you a pardon, to grant you forgiveness although your sins should have been like scarlet they will be white as snow in other words i saw your sins i kept a record of your sins in my holy book <clears throat> your sins stenched and stunk to high heaven and i am and i have been poised to pour out my wrath on your life as punishment for your sins but i am willing to to allow your sins to be removed by the blood of Jesus, I am willing to forgive you of all of your sins, and I am willing to answer your prayer, forgive you of your sins, and if you choose to humble yourself before me, if you choose to be pride, you will be stricken down with the proud. If you choose to humble yourself before me, then I will choose to forgive you of all of your sins, I will cleanse you with the blood of Jesus, and I will totally restore you, and I will totally make you a brand new man and a brand new woman in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So that's why you saw me talking about metaphorically, and I'm also telling you the account of what really happened to me. That story of meeting a guy on the escalator, that really happened to me. And it happened because God wanted to reach him after 30 years, we had lost touch, so after 30 years, he wanted to reach that guy, <clears throat> and he knew that guy didn't have long, okay? And he knew that, that the only way he could save that guy was he wanted to bring me, my face in front of his eyes, because I would be a reminder, I'm not proud of this, I would be a reminder of exactly he of who he used to be before he repented of his sins and came back to me. But then he backslid again. But now the Lord, in his infinite grace, the Lord will give you many chances. The problem is you don't know how many chances he's going to give you. He may give you one. He may give you a hundred chances. You don't bet. Heaven is not a gambling casino for crying out loud. You don't bet in heaven. You place your faith in Christ. He cleanses you of all your sins, and now you're, you're, you're free from the law of sin and death. And so, the nanosecond you die, whenever that is, the nanosecond you die, you will be instantaneously, you will leave your body and enter into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. You'll enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, when we come back, I want to share another super powerful truth with you that connects to this. It has to do with prophecy and the technology that is working now and I, you must know this i've written to you in my books but it keeps taking quantum leaps the technology that is available to mankind right now has reached at such a level that they can control human brains human motions human sicknesses human healths human mental healths depression elation murderous thoughts the, the entire neurocircuitry of any human being can be brought under total control and total dominion by wireless uh, by wireless 5G cell tower type transmissions. So you can be externally <clears throat> morphed into a robot like in the movie iRobot. and they can take total control of your brain, your body, your abilities, your thoughts, your attitudes, your emotions, your moods. They can dominate you and own you and take total control over you in every aspect of your life. In fact, listen to me very carefully. In the elections of the future, they will not have to rig them like they did in the old-fashioned days, like during the last election when they rigged the election. Today, they have the technology to rig the elections and to rig anything. The way they will rig elections... Is they will use the latest computer algorithms. They will use the latest uh, computerized uh, um, programming and software systems. They will incorporate the latest uh, computer software language. They they will they will use all of that together. And now now it's already done. This is already finished. This is already a beta complete. They already have the. All pervasive technology to totally dominate hundreds of millions of people on planet Earth simultaneously. Or countless hundreds of millions of people on planet Earth can be dominated and controlled scientifically. We have entered, my friends, the scientific revolution. We have entered, my friends, the robotic revolution. The entire world is forever changed, and we're not going back. And so the way it works is all these new technologies can be used via satellite through 5 g cell phone wire transmission through through nanobots through vaccines through nanobots in uh, uh food and insects and mosquitoes and nanobots even in uh, uh you know bottled water uh uh aerosol spray and just endless you know drinks and and all kinds of things so all of these so-called health foods or whatever or just plain foods all of them are now being if you go to the meat department if you go to the fish department all of the produce all of the fish all of the vegetables whether it's canned or or whatever all of the fish all of the vegetables All of the uh, um, artificial foods, all of the ice creams, every food product made can now be made with a massive download of super microscopic nanobot technology or super microscopic uh, uh, algorithms, super microscopic. Technologies And these nanobot technologies are so super tiny and super microscopic that they have the power and the ability now, right now at this second, these nanobot technologies can be microscopically embedded into the food supplies, into the water supplies, into the chemtrails coming from the skies, from the vegetables, the fruits. All of these nanotechnologies can be put in in medical pills and bottles uh, uh, and and a massive, just a massive, massive, massive assortment of mind-altering, chemically-altering technology. Now, what this means is all of this new technology has the overwhelming power, wake up, to totally control every aspect of your life. So in a moment we're going to get right back back to it, and I promise you, the truth will set you free. But the truth will also blow your mind. You're listening to the Paul McGuire report. You need to get in order and do Bible studies on this and get off your posterior. I talk to Christians who are so dumbed down, they remind me of Doctor Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein. Now I'm not insulting their looks, although in some cases there, there may be an application. I'm telling you that the the way they act programmed, the way they act when they're dumbed down, the way they act in all these areas is scary because they've been so ruthlessly dumbed down that they're acting like Dr. Frankenstein in Transylvania and, and, and the Bride of Frankenstein. And you've all seen what the Bride of Frankenstein looks like. She is not on the cover of a magazine uh, for a candidate for the world's most beautiful woman. We both know that. Okay, so this is what I recommend that you get in sequence. If you do this, you get a super price discount. You save big money financially. It's important that you start – And look, I've, I've written 46 books. I'm not telling you to go read 46, although I would. I'm telling you to read the books that I think at this moment in time are the most important to read, okay? So <clears throat> what I am highly recommending is you'll learn this stuff. Your your vocabulary, your understanding will skyrocket. And this is the fastest way to do it because I don't listen to me. I, I solemnly swear. Well, the Bible says you're not supposed to swear, so I better not swear. I solemnly commit. I don't know if that's the same thing. <laughs> and in any case, I commit to you. That I know of no other series of books as well researched and as prophetic and as futuristic prophetic as these books that were written sequentially. That means one year after another year after another year after another year. And they will give you, they will make you an expert. They will make you literally the genius on the block in understanding high technology, Bible prophecy genetics, and everything else, because I don't write boring books. That's That was one of my rules when I was a young author. I think that was my number one rule. No, my number one rule was write books that will reach people for Jesus Christ. My number two w- uh, rule was don't write boring books. Why? Because b- b- nobody reads boring books. Okay, first book I would recommend right off the top, Are You Ready? You've got to read it, man. People don't even know that they, they've they changed some of the verbiage. But this secret society plan is still moving fast ahead. The, the North American Union, the South American Union, uh, there are 10 uh, union, planetary union governments on planet Earth. You never hear these so-called experts on the big mainstream media channels or even the big alternative media channels. You know why they never hear them talk about it? I'm not insulting them. I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. But probably 95% of these guys on these conservative websites and news sites and everything else, the plain fact of the matter is five years ago, they didn't know anything. They didn't know diddly squat. That's the truth. I'm not putting them down. They didn't know about the Great Reset. They didn't know about genetic coding. They didn't know about Bible, still don't know about Bible prophecy. They didn't know about all the stuff that I've been writing about for over 35 years. That's a fact. I can prove it. The copyright dates are on my book. So so why wouldn't you want to go to an original source to read the books and get a divine download? of? I mean, it's nice. These guys are charming and stuff. I'll give them that. They're good entertainers. But I'll tell you this, they don't read. They're not readers. If you want to show... I mean, I hope my show is entertaining to whatever degree, but I didn't write my shows. I don't, excuse me, I don't even write my shows. That, that, that's a, com- pre- a com- incredible mistruth. Paul McGuire doesn't write his shows. Paul McGuire doesn't have writers for his shows. Paul McGuire studies, prays, and seeks the Lord 24 hours a day, in the middle of the night, at any time possible. I'm giving you my secret sauce, by the way. Paul McGuire studies, reads... 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm constantly downloading information on a massive spectrum of situations. So, what that does is that is giving me the equivalent of a super education, or you could break it down this way that's giving me the equivalent of 10 different PhD degrees in 10 different subjects every year for the next, I don't know, eight years. It's called super learning. And if you'll stay with my show and quit eating pudding, if you stay with my show, you'll understand when you read Aldous Huxley's book, Carefully, Brave New World, which I read in third grade, and Orwell wrote about it and all the rest of those guys wrote about it. They talked about a futuristic dictatorship, a scientific dictatorship, where they would indoctrinate people to believe certain things and they called this learning and doctrine methodology super learning the point is super learning is simply a scientific it's a it's, it's a methodology of a scientific dictatorship written by the the, the great writer uh, from Brave New World Aldous Huxley now I know all about the dynamics of super learning how it works how it doesn't work blah blah blah, blah. The reason I do, and by the way, I don't mean this for nefarious purposes, but I know all about super learning in terms of how an individual can positively, as long as they discriminate, can positively learn the benefits of super learning for job performance, for college performance, for business performance, etc., etc., etc. Because the people. The people of the Great Reset, the people who are currently taking over planet Earth, they formally called their plan the New World Order. Huxley and others wrote in his novels about super learning and sleep learning, where you could digest and learn massive, massive amounts of heavy-duty intellectual scientific material. You could super learn it at high speeds while you're asleep, and you allow a, a microscopic uh, computer uh, learning system to download you with the, with the vast amounts of knowledge and learning and training and information you need. That stuff is here and it has been here for a long time. Now, the danger is, the flip side of super learning is, if you don't use your spiritual discernment, super learning can be used to Brainwash you, indoctrinate you, and program you into being a slave-like global citizen, just like the the, the global elite of the new world order that's merging now before our, our our eyes. Okay, all right. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. Take advantage of the sequential buying discounts, and download into your body, soul, mind, and spirit. Download the equivalent of ten theological degrees on high-powered Bible prophecy, high-powered Bible study, high-powered science, high-powered motivational theory, and high-powered subjects that you would never touch in a Christian high school or college because they're too dumbed down to teach it. And I don't mean to be kind. I'm a former professor at one of the leading Christian seminaries and universities where I taught eschatology, Bible prophecy, and I taught uh, Israel and Bible prophecy, and I taught emotional healing and other subjects, okay, so you buy the books in sequence the more books you buy, the greater the discount you get. So I would start off with i'd start off with the day the dollar died because that will detonate open the financial system, the federal reserve, and the secret mystical power of money beginning in ancient Babylon. Then after that, I would get Are You Ready?, which talks about the secret of the of the North American Union and the, the, the unification of Mexico, Canada, and the United States. And then I would read uh, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. And that book is a powerful book. It could be used as a textbook. It's a fast-moving book that, that explains to you the secret of every battle and the secret of every war and the secret of every conflict on planet Earth in a high-powered way. Then, excuse me, I'd read. Now, this is a book that shows you, okay, now that your back is up against the wall, what you can do about it. And the name of that book that I wrote is called Who Will Rule the Future? A Resistance to the New World Order. Notice that I didn't just write who will rule the future. That's good. That's a warm-up act. Notice the subtitle. Here's here's where the punch comes. The subtitle for my book, Who Will Rule the Future, is A Resistance to the New World Order. And my good friend Frankie Schaefer was kind enough to to write the foreword to it. Um, Okay, Standing Down Goliath. Nephilim, DNA, cyborgs, artificial intelligence, nanochips, world brain, prophecy, Babylon, Stargate. Virtual reality, American Matrix, and Interdimensional Armageddon. And here's the tragedy: You sacrifice your hard-earned money to send your kid to a secular college or university, or you sacrifice your hard-earned money to send your kid to a Christian college or a university, and I could just simply read the bullet point titles and subtitles from my books to you and most likely your son, your daughter, your kid's professor. Your kids' teacher, but mainly their college and university professors, would, for the overwhelmingly most part, have absolutely no clue whatsoever about what all of these super important words mean that are printed out on the cover of my book. It would go over their head, like like the space shuttle. And that's pathetic. This is cutting edge. What I'm telling you now, this is the type of stuff that Elon Musk talks about at his dinner table. You think Elon Musk isn't savvy about this stuff? Okay, then. Fact one: your mind is being programmed neurologically. I'm going to get into that. I have research that'll sizzle your brain. So read my book on conquering the matrix by Paul McGuire. Then we have this book is my latest book. This book is is all I can say is wow. All I can say is wow. If 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 two things don't happen. After you read Power from on High by Paul McGuire, the first thing that should happen is, is you should have a supernatural revelation of the multidimensional nature of the power of the Holy Spirit, and God should impart a deep download upon you uh, for after you read the book Power from on High. The second part of what will happen to you after you read Power from on High is you will personally experience the supernatural, miraculous power of God. It's like the only way to describe it is like it's supernatural, divine energy will hit you and ignite with such unbelievable power, such unbelievable spiritual authority, and such unbelievable force that literally. Now, I'm you some of you are going to think I'm crazy. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. <clears throat> um. You read power from on high, and you—you you will be a man or a woman like Elisha's servant, who walked. And Elijah cried out to God, God, oh, open the eyes of my servant Elijah, so that he can, so that he can, uh, so that he can see the the armies. Um, so no, excuse me. So that he can see the chariots of fire, and so that he can see the armies of heaven. God wants his people's brains turned on, he wants their minds turned on, and God wants the minds of his people so supernaturally enhanced that they literally receive what is known in the Bible as power from on high, and uh, David referred to it as being clothed with power from on high. And when you're clothed with power from on high, you receive the infusion of the power of the Holy Spirit with such unbelievable force that it is almost impossible for your human temple to contain the dunamis dynamite explosion of God that detonates inside your inner man and inner woman, thus releasing, thus releasing the Overwhelming force of God that will. It, it, the word dunamis means detonation, like dynamite. So, the dunamis dynamite power of God is the detonation, the dunamis dynamite detonation of the supernatural power of God that will detonate and explode with such overwhelming force that it will shatter in multiple d- dimensions. It will shatter in multiple dimensions. The, the demonic armies, uh, and all the opposition to the kingdom of God. And it is only, it is only when we have the, the dynamite power of God being detonated in our lives, it is only when that happens that we can walk and minister in what happens after. What happens after you pull the trigger on the supernatural power of God which releases a detonation of the Holy Spirit that is so overwhelming so strategically wise and so uh overwhelmingly um, effective in winning souls uh, uh, smashing down satanic strongholds and bringing yes, I want you to hear what I said because that's why I wrote the book I'm not making a joke I don't if you know me I don't make religious jokes I make religious put downs I don't make religious jokes but You need to know how to walk in. You need to know how to operate in the dunamis dynamite supernatural power of God. And when you do that, when that dunamis dynamite detonation of the Spirit of God goes off in your inner man and inner woman, the explosive reverberation force shakes the earth internally and externally with a seismic uh, size explosion that can level continents, that can level demonic armies, and so on and so forth. All right, you need to visit paulmaguire.us. That's paulmaguire.us. It's interesting. I believe that what happened to me today while I was recording the program was a prophetic message to me and you. And I'll tell you what it was. I <clears throat> I was sitting here in the Paul Maguire studios uh, recording the program. <clears throat> Excuse me, and and then all of a sudden the studio that i was in shook violently and i have been in countless countless california earthquakes okay like the gigantic northridge uh earthquake where i was in uh, <clears throat> there were two uh, there were two dual epicenters in the earthquake <clears throat> the house that we were living in at that time was directly located over one dual epicenter earthquake and then uh, the actual reported dual earthquake was located directly over the other dual epicenter. So I wasn't far away from the center of the earthquake. I was in ground zero of the earthquake. And this was in the Northridge earthquake. Our house rocked so violently. I'm talking about violently. Think of you're in some gigantic warship movie and they fire a nuclear torpedo into the side of your boat, and your boat is practically blown out of the water, and your boat is rocking, your submarine, excuse me, your boat. Yeah, your boat is rocking back and forth. Your boat is practically broken, thrown out of the water. And it's like it's like nothing you've ever experienced before, and yet you've experienced this constantly. So I'm experiencing this. The next thing I know, I'm half asleep, okay? But I figured that the house is collapsing, so I better get under this, this heavy-duty table because my next plan, and my plan in my mind, is to start to bolt up the stairs in about three seconds. I wanted to give myself about three seconds to make sure that the house hadn't collapsed and my family wasn't dead. So about three and a half seconds after I heard noise, I realized that they were alive. And so, like a wild animal, I ran up the stairs. Uh, and I ran into to the arms of my wife who had our three young children at that time. And and I grabbed one or two children, children, she she grabs the other children, and together as a husband and wife team, we 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 bolt for our lives out on the uh end of the cul de sac where we lived, which was all green grass and, and basically far away from big overhead trees. Okay. And uh so I didn't want to get hit by a tree or a collapsing building. Although many of my neighbors' houses, their foundations, the foundations of their houses, literally cracked into. And when you took a flashlight and you kneeled over the crack into foundations, you could see. You your, your light would only go down so far. So I don't know. Did it go down a hundred feet, two hundred feet, and then disappeared into the darkness? I have no idea. Other houses split into. All over many, many neighborhoods. Shopping malls collapsed. Remember the famous pictures uh, of the Northridge earthquake. Remember the famous pictures where the where the uh, these giant over you know these giant uh, overhanging uh, uh, freeways. You know they go in these circular sweeping mo- uh, motions. And these are these really high tech, fancy uh, overhanging uh, uh, highways in California designed to protect against earthquakes. And so you've, you've seen those pictures, everybody has, they were shown everywhere. And then remember one of the shots is, is this poor guy because the, the, the speedway that's you know several hundred feet up in the air, is, 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 it's rocking back and forth and the poor guy gets out of his car to try to run to escape. The problem is that the freeway snapped on the left end and the right end and he really couldn't go anywhere or he jumped to his death. He, he, he was spared, by the way, by a helicopter, thank God. And so remember that physical situation, and it was really scary and airy to look at these giant freeways just broken in pieces? Well, the reality is that those freeways are a very short distance from where our studio is. In fact, I had to drive over those studios with my kids and my wife or my kids and my wife were variations of that i had to drive over that that freeway that was broken in segments and and just like that put me in a state of shock because you because you say that could have been me my wife and our children stuck up on this aerial freeway and and we could have died and then literally to 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 give you an idea of the magnitude of this earthquake, literally no exaggeration for at least a year after the initial Northridge earthquake went off for at least over a year, there would be these regular cyclical aftershocks in which the earthquake would seem to be going off again over and over and over again. There would be some kind of seismic trigger and no warning, and the whole earth would shake. And it would shake violently, and and we'd watch shopping malls collapse, and movie theaters, massive state of the art uh, office buildings would collapse. This went on forever. To give you another idea about my my, you know, most of the time in California, it's been like this. Okay, so this is also what happened. Um, the earthquake was so intense that the giant freeways, okay, that get there's only like two or four giant freeways that that can actually physically get you out of uh, Los Angeles if there's a natural disaster. Isn't that pathetic? Talk about poor city planning. That that deserves an Academy Award. I mean, you have probably the largest landmass of people anywhere in the world all stuck on the same freeway, the five freeway, okay? All of these people are coming out of LA to the suburbs. Some of them are driving up even farther, okay? So here we have the largest exodus of cars leaving uh the number four, 5 freeway. Every day they're they're coming in and every day they're coming out and they have no effective contingency contingency plan whatsoever. Now, let me repeat this so you really got it. This is what happens when you live in a communist state. They have No effective contingency plan whatsoever to get the people in and out of LA, to get the supplies in and out of LA. All of LA becomes like hermetically sealed and shut down if the five freeway is jeopardized by any means. And so, oh, you better believe it's jeopardized. So, every single day for almost a year, I'll I'll trace to you how I drove to and from work, which on a normal bad L.A. day would be approximately, uh, I, I don't it would be about an hour and a half each way, okay? I don't know how many miles it was. It's not that many miles, it just takes forever. A mile and a half each way. And so so for, al- for almost a year, because that's how long it took them to reassemble. See, there's the giant five freeways and 125 freeways. Then there's these alternative roads, and then there's these dirt roads. They have no contingency road because they never had a contingency plan, and they're making the same mistake on purpose down there in Orange County by testing. It's the same garbage. This is what happens when bureaucrats and politicians, not visionaries, not the most qualified, this is what happens when it's amateur hour uh, in terms of leadership and politics. The people suffer. So. buildings are collapsing. So anyway, I it's taking me uh, 10 hours a day to drive from work into where I work and 10 hours a day to drive back to where I live. Why? Because literally, no exaggeration, for many months after the, the, the earthquake occurred, I literally could have crawled on my... I'm not exaggerating. I literally could have crawled on my knees faster then I could have traveled by actually, uh, um, let's say I could have crossed. I'm getting mixed up. I could have crawled. My I could have literally crawled on my knees faster than I could have taken a bicycle or jog walked to work and back. Okay, you couldn't move. You, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, what, I was sitting in a car. I opened my car door. We were, the car that I was driving was moving so slowly, it was like an inch or two every 10 minutes. This went on month after month after month after month after month. And then slowly, it slowly went back a little bit better. And they're still repairing it. It was beyond belief. The worst part of it all was to look at what was left of the infrastructure after it suffered the earthquake damage. And I see the same exact. Architectural engineering blueprint patterns being erected right now in Orange County and Tustin and that whole area. They they aren't. You think these bureaucrats are actually changing anything? No. All this talk about safety. I'm not an engineer. I can tell you this. Oh, I'm sure they have some lip service, super cheap safety measures that they've built into the into the uh, new freeway. It's no new freeway. It is. It is. A and no, if you're mentally challenged, forgive me. I don't mean to be rude. It is a retarded person's plan for what uh, an enhanced or improved freeway would look look at look like. We, I'm telling you right now, in the, in the state of communist California, we are no, not one bit more safe, secure, what not one bit more prepared for a major catastrophic of any event, whether it's a fire, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's a nuke, or whatever it is. We are not prepared at all, even in the slightest, for a catastrophic event. Now, by the way, I'm not bragging, but because I research a lot of stuff, then people people have a hard time with me in debates on like Fox News, and I don't go on Fox News anymore. It's a circus. But when I do big debates, I always win because I'm an it sounds so arrogant to say this, but I'm not going to apologize for it because it's true. So I have a choice: I can be polite and have you think that I'm a moderately moderately intelligent guy. Okay, that's one choice I have, or I can tell the truth about myself and run the very real risk that that I am an incredibly well-read, well-studied, intelligent. Uh, individual who who understands a diversity of complex subjects literally at the at the genius level. So so think of my dilemma right now. If I tell you the truth, you're think, going to think I'm an arrogant, you know, full of himself. I don't blame you. If I don't tell you the truth, then I give my enemies and my opponents to to illegally seize leadership in the playing field, and they don't deserve it because they don't read, they don't know anything about anything. So let's just talk about catastrophes and mass uh, catastrophic events for a moment. I have in, in books that I have like, um, a prophecy of the future of America, volume one and two, I have detailed articles on mass catastrophic events on, on, uh, earthquakes, on gangs, on crimes, on child sex trafficking, on, on drugs, uh, on drug cartels, uh, I mean, detailed studies of, of this stuff, uh, you know, that are in the book. So when I when I quote, I show up with documentation. Okay, so th- th- this is the point that I want to make, and we're going to tease into this, and then we're going to get in this, into this tomorrow. We, we have reached a time in human history that, that we have never reached before in mankind, and it is because of the high-level nature of our technology, okay? And what we all need to to embrace is the fact that, that I don't believe in evolution, okay, I think only an idiot would be an, uh, would believe in evolution. and if for no other reason i can to me to me to to defeat evolution in one slam dunk punch, I would use only one argument, okay The name of the argument I would use against the stupidity and moronic nature of evolution. Is what I would call the argument by design, and the argument by design simply spells out in detail that if you look at the creation, whether on a microscopic level biologically, if you look at the creation biologically, if you look at the creation in a macroscopic way, the universe, the solar systems, the 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 quantum physics and things of that nature, if you examine uh, the 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 mass uh, laws of physics and chemistry and life, if you look at all the big picture situations, it is absolutely obvious that none of this came about by random chance accident. You would have to be, you would have to be, you couldn't even be Willy Wonka. You would have to be the driver of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory uh, escalator. You would have to be the driver of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory Escalator to believe the absolute, partial, outrageously stupid and incompetent theories that are being used to establish this bogus, stooge-invented theory known as uh, Charles Darwin's uh, uh, theory of uh, evolution. It's a theory of evolution because it's a fiction. It's not true. It's not true. The entire hidden agenda behind evolution is the atheists, the New Agers, the Masons, the occultists like Huxley and others. They needed a phony baloney intellectual argument that they they knew would sound scientific enough so they could attempt to attack the minds of Christian children in schools all over the world and use this phony baloney, half-baked, idiotic theory called the theory of evolution They would use it as an intellectual weapon to conquer the minds and the hearts and the brains of Christian children who came from, and this is the fault of the parents and the pastors and the Christian culture. You've got nobody to blame but yourself. So, the whole reason they invented the theory of evolution, because it's so ridiculous, so preposterous, nobody in their right mind believes in it, they needed a vehicle of destruction. They need a mechanism of destruction. That would destroy non thinking, non reading people, and get non reading and non thinking people to falsely believe that mankind arrived on planet Earth by pure evolutionary accident, that there is no right, that there is no wrong, uh, and that all of evolution is simply a a man made fairy tale invented by uh, insecure, cringing, freezing religious fanatics. who, who, because they had no real weapon against the truth of the gospel, they had to invent this completely insane scheme of Darwinian evolution. And that is why evolution has been secretly funded for hundreds and hundreds of years, beginning in Great Britain, the British intellectuals, the British aristocracy, the the, the British uh, secret societies, the British communists, the British socialists, and on and on and on. They all concocted, they all conspired, they all unified, and they all financed an all-out heavy-duty attack against Darwinian evolution, because their goal was to portray Darwinian evolution as a theory that only monkeys and fools would believe, that Darwinian evolution was the theory of morons and the theory of the mentally degraded. And so they, they they used every trick in the book to con—yeah, the word is con—they used every trick in the book to con Christians into believing how how a Darwinian evolution could even be remotely true. I'm not talking about, oh, they're close. I'm not talking about, well, it sure is a good argument for a Darwinian evolution. I'm not talking about anything like that whatsoever. I'm talking about this fact and this fact alone that when it comes to Darwinian evolution, you have to be a flat-out pancake for a brain. You have to be a moron mentally and intellectually and in every other way. There is no way, if you're going to rely on the primary axioms of, of, of the scientific method, there is no way on Earth that evolution even remotely comes close in being viable and being accurate and being scientifically accurate in proving itself to be the true and valid account of the explanation for the origins of mankind. And so, really, everybody knows evolution is a farce. The, the few remain, remaining people who do not fully understand that evolution is a farce are those people who who uh, mistakenly believe that evolution is a viable scientific theory, despite the fact that if you just look at the physical creation alone, if you just look at the physical creation alone, you will see absolutely no evidence whatsoever, either in terms of genetic uh, uh, perspectives, neither in terms of of, uh, uh, the, the number of years it might potentially take over a period of, let's say 200 million years, to finally finally establish the fact that evolution is a truism in a science. The the, the major blatant point is is that it is not possible for evolution to function as a viable scientific science and yet at the same time function as a viable scientific uh, theory. You either gotta take one and reject the other, or reject the other and take and take the or take one. You can't take both. They don't work. If you try to take both and blend them together, which is the ridiculous case, I'm embarrassed. I know a great Christian leader that I respected enormously. I respected him perhaps more than any other Christian leader in the world. And I I, I read an article he wrote in a Christian magazine where he actually defended. He actually defended. Uh, what was called the theory of theistic evolution, and all theistic evolution means and is theistic evolution is simply no more than a fancy phrase or a fancy word to 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 say or to state that um, I as a Christian, which I don't, I as a Christian believe in the viability of the theory of evolution. Um, except the only minor difference would be, in other words, I am an evolutionist. Again, I am not an evolutionist, but all these Christians who who want to be socially accepted and politically correct, they're making the public statements that I am an evolutionist. Well, I certainly am not an evolutionist. Why? Because I have a brain and I use it. So this great man of God I read, and he was writing an entire editorial about how he believed theistic evolution was true, and it was not a theory. And there we therefore we needed to be open to the truthfulness of scientific evolution now i know this guy i don't claim to know everything about him but i but but like a lot of good friends i know some of his weaknesses his strengths his emotional vulnerabilities in other words i know him far better than most people know him on a, multidimensional, a multi a multidimensional level and i know that and I've noticed that this is a syndrome with many Christians. I, I've noticed that, uh, like many Christians who, who grew up with the syndrome of not having been raised in a highly educated household, they appear to want to overcompensate uh, from coming for the uh, uh, you know, lower-level intellectual environment. They try to compensate for the lack. And the way they choose to compensate for the lack is they will will usually believe the bible but but in specific areas in a spiritual battle they 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 can be counted on to take the side of being the type of Christian who will often side with uh the scientific community, the educational community, the psychological community, and many many other of our worldly communities of science, education, physics, etc., etc. Now, why? Is it because they're dumb? Oh, no, these are some of the most brilliant men I know. But you see, they have a psychological hole, they have a psychological flaw, and I've seen it over and over again. Now, not because I'm a great person, but you see, because I grew up in such a high-powered intellectual household in New York City, where our our dinner table conversation would Consists of, of debates about the philosopher Nietzsche and, and, and uh, uh, high-level physics and mathematics and uh, uh, high-level secular philosophies and, and very, uh, you know, the real purposes behind the French Revolution versus the American Revolution. I was immersed, saturated, and baked and broiled in in the, the richest protein diet. Of intellectual, scientific, artistic, creative, historical, theory, a person could be raised in. So, so when I was in second grade, and we all had to take some stupid test, I forgot what it was called. I was always put in the dumb class, not well, almost almost the dumbest class. I was always put in the dumber class because I uh, my academics in, in many of my subjects just didn't measure up and. They surmised I was not the brightest bulb on the table or on Christmas tree. (laughs) Okay. That was their summary to me. completely false, by the way. So um, I had to take this test. It was a mass statewide test that would assess all the students and determine precisely where these individual students were in terms of their actual grade and academic levels. In other words, give give a test that really has some teeth and integrity to it, integrity to it, and find out just how smart our students are. So, like I said, I was and I was happy being relegated to the almost dumbest class because I, I got tired of being made fun of, and tired of laughed at, and tired of being mocked uh, every time I would be put back into the the smart kids class, because it always played out the same way when it came to subjects like mathematics you know, I, I would just like dive bomb. Okay. Because I couldn't, mathematics was just like gibberish to me. I didn't understand it, but when it came to anything, literary, verbal, vocabulary, history, philosophy, and all the other fields, by the way, which weigh far heavier tests, or at least they did back then. Um, I, I always had sky high, um, uh, uh, Grade level, so I remember all the teachers pulling me into the, the principal's office, and they had all had sheepish looks on their face, and they wanted to apologize to my mother, but I think she had to work; she was a teacher, and uh, um, they felt bad for me because they knew they knew that they had treated like you know what, but now they had to deal with the Ten Commandments that just came down from on high, like Thou shalt not kill, and I forgot how they started it, but they 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 proudly announced the fact that. Out of all the students, not only of our uh, uh, grammar school, PS69, not out of all the students of our grammar school and all the students of a massive, massive area of uh, students from all kinds of a huge geographic area in New York city. I don't know, remember how big it was. It was huge because this was New York City. Okay. So if you score on the top of a, a testing procedure, that covers, you know, the territory of most of New York City. That's exactly a very impressive thing. So they told me that uh, I, don't know, I don't know how they said it. I think they may have said we, we were surprised. You, you, uh, you, congratulations. They weren't exactly passionate about the congratulations, and I do remember that to this day. they their, their, their passionate congratulations. Let's just put it this way: it was a lukewarm congratulations because obviously it was a simultaneous indictment against their ability to teach. And I'll explain why, because maybe your child is going through it. It turns out that when it came to all the English literary history, reading, writing, essays, reading comprehension, and all of those, I scored a PhD level, a PhD level, a graduate PhD level, uh, a Graduate, PhD, college level on, on all my testing of this this, this very important test. I, it was determined that I was college level, okay, third degree college level, and they didn't know what to do with that because they stuck me in the, in, in the ghetto, no racial thing. And they stuck me in the ghetto and didn't know what to do with me. Uh, and then when they finally let me out, they put me back in the ghetto. Because I, I didn't perform well with mathematics. Now, then I also knew what. Then I then they told me my no. Excuse me. They did not tell me my IQ. But but you but you know a little, little bit about Paul McGuire because you listened to me, right? Guess what Paul McGuire would do if if the school told him he couldn't know his own IQ. Now, why would I not have a right to know my own sofa called thing? To know my own, my own so-called intelligence level. Why would I not have a right? I should I, I see a lot of Christian kids go, "Oh, that would be stealing. No, maybe I don't have a theology like that. That's the theology of the toilet bowl, by the way. Flush it and have fun. I knew where the teacher hid and concealed the the all the uh, IQ records and the IQ. tests for the entire class. So I strategically waited until the class all went to lunch, including the teacher. I had already located on previous little missions where the general area where the file of my IQ and the file of my IQ test and what my IQ number was that I, I found it. Okay. Aha. aha. Yes, I found it. And so I, I was sweating because they could, have, I could have gone back early. In any case, I, I I found my file quickly. I wrote down my IQ numbers. I wrote down my, my, intelligence test numbers and there were some other numbers that I wrote down that had to do with what was my general intelligence in relationship to the rest of the kids in the school system. What was my IQ, what was my uh I forgot the name, the mathematical score and the uh uh verbal and reading writing scores. Okay. So now baby I had the dope. I had I had the truth about Paul McGuire that they never they hid from me because I I'm telling you, I was tormented because I was picked on so much in school. I was tormented perpetually because I was. It was always innuendoed, especially with nonverbal jokes and semi-jokes by the teachers. It was always innuendoed that well, I was not the brightest bulb on the street. And so I find out, whoa! Even before I went into the meeting, I found out that my IQ was the IQ. I had a genius IQ. Now, they didn't know I knew. I never told them. I had a genius IQ. And then on this big, big, big statewide test, uh, I placed like either like number three or number four or at the lowest number five. I don't remember. I think it was number three. I was number three in test ranking above all the, the... English, verbal, history, writing, reading comprehension, reading comprehension tests in the, in like, it was either the state of California or half the state of California. That's huge. It's millions of people. Okay. And then, in addition, they said, you have your verbal, written, writing, uh, uh, speaking, uh, literary skills, and whatever other thing they, they listen to. They said to me, "Your your testing skills ranks you as the third highest uh, uh, student in like I'm, I don't know whether it was all of California or half of California. I'll just be modest. In all and half of the state of California, so all the kids in the state of half of half the state of California." I was ahead of them in my reading, writing, speaking, literary history skills. So now they didn't tell me everything with the enthusiasm that I'm exhibiting myself. What that meant is that I uh, now I know why they weren't all that happy that I that I I hit the ball out of the the ballpark with the bases loaded. They weren't all happy because the question that obviously is going to be asked of them by The press asked of them by, by the big time educators and the educational experts. The obvious question is simply this: If Paul McGuire, one of your students, uh, and I think it was in third grade, maybe second, I think it was third grade. If Paul McGuire, one of your students in third grade, we'd like to talk to him. And then, they talked to me. They were nice to me. And then they and then they said, um, "How is it that why? What was your decision in placing Paul McGuire?" In uh, uh, the third grade, you know, special lower student class, uh, how, how, why, did, how, why did you send Paul McGuire into the special learner, you know, class for low-achieving low, low learners or something? Why, why did you put him there? When the testing says he's, number th- he's the number three highest-ranking student in the entire state of California, and in fact is reading and writing and history and reading comprehension, that all uh, places him uh, as the third highest ranking, as the third highest ranking student in the entire state of California, whose reading, writing, uh, reading comprehension and verbal skills, place him. in the category of a fourth-year uh, Ph.D. student at a major university. Now listen to that uh, Ph.D. Uh, third-year student in a major university. So that was that's what the, their data said I was, and yet I was stuck in the kitchen. I wasn't even the fry cook. I was the guy who scrubbed the fries. Now, there's more to this story, but we're running out of time. But the thing I want to say to you is never, if it's you listening to me or somebody you love listening to me, never, ever, 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 ever allow anybody else to determine your value, your intelligence, your gifting, your worthiness, your abilities. Never, ever allow some so-called expert, some so-called genius, some so-called professional with a degree. Never in God's name, never allow them to to rank you, okay because they don't know what they're talking about and I, and by the way, I knew that what they were telling me before I broke into the, the sealed office and and stole my listen let me let me make something straight. I didn't steal test answers i didn't the test answers weren't stored there. what I stole was my numerical rankings, that that showed me what my actual numerical or intelligence IQ was, or back then they used to say how smart I was. I wanted to know what they what they what they said how smart I was, okay, and I believe to this day I have a right to know, it, and I'd steal it again. So I wanted to know the truth. You know why I wanted to know the truth? Because innately I knew there's something wrong here. I know that I'm smarter. I'm not saying better. I'm smarter than the majority of the students in the school. I'm in reading. I'm way beyond, and many other linguistics reasoning, thinking, and all. I was sky, I was sky high ahead of all of them, in in almost everything. So, I kept asking myself, if I'm sky high in all of these areas, how come I'm always ending up in in the in the, in the deficient readers class, or deficient students class? And it bothered me, you know, because you were made fun of by the peers, and so that see that's why I stole my test. I wanted to know because you see if, if I was genetically stupid, well, then I should just accept it and accept my role in life. That's what I was saying to myself, or if if, I, if it's proofs to show that I have a high iQ and that I'm really smart, then Paul, you better change your opinion of yourself, and you better direct your life in 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 direction of the gifting you give. So so, I remember uh, they didn't know that I knew the data they had, which I enjoyed because then I could play with that. And and uh, I basically used it as an opportunity not to be rude, not to be snotty, but I used it as an opportunity to give the teachers, the principals, the learning experts, and the local newspaper. I gave them the opportunity to to get some honest, legitimate accurate feedback of what a what an academic experience in your grammar school is like for a self-directed young student who takes his own initiative, who has a hobby of reading like 25 to 30 books a month minimum on on every subject under the sun. And I want you to to and I'm not sure I got across the message because all I got was a bureaucrat's answer and I said but I want you to know what it feels like to be a student with these capabilities and giftings and these hobbies and this level of of uh, ability and I want you to just get a little taste of what it feels like to be demeaned in the schoolyard, to be insulted, put down, marginalized and uh, told how stupid I am Uh and being the butt of everybody's jokes, I softened it up. But I said it. I actually said it better than my did. And they're very uncomfortable. And and they didn't. They didn't ingent. Oh, but the, my, my main point was. I said because I was I was intelligent. Like I said, the main point was, I understood the problem. They still they still didn't understand the problem by the time we left. The problem was simply when it comes down to the reading verbal uh, essay skills uh, reading comprehension and all that stuff i scored sky high but why is it that i could score sky high there and then when it came to the mathematical testing i would flatline and i explained it to them i said when your teachers teach me because it's obvious see i knew that it was obvious and this was my ace card i knew it was obvious that i had that I was very intelligent and a very high IQ. And I'm not bragging. That's what their test said. I wouldn't have known it if their test, if I had just gone by their feedback, I would never have known that. So I knew that based on their IQ testing, I was a very, very intelligent student. So they said, well, why, why what are we going to do? with you? you're doing lousy in math, great. verbal. purple, stuff. I said, the reason for the problem, I said, is, I, I I'm a reader. I come from a household where people read. We read lots of books. I said, I read about twenty-five books a month on all kinds of subjects. Of course they thought I was lying. Do you think they thought I was telling the truth? No, they thought, oh, he's a liar. No, I wasn't a liar. I was only a liar because they never read they read maybe one book a year. So you know, I had to be a liar. And I s but I said, so I'm comfortable with reading. I'm exposed to reading. Reading isn't work for me. Reading is Hobby. It's my hobby. I enjoy doing it. I read science fiction. I read science. I said I love reading. That was the magic words. I love reading. And I said so. It's n- it's not work uh, to to love reading, and and it's not lo- a, lo- a love to be passionate about reading if it's presented to you in a way that ignites your passion, that ignites your love. Now you, know, you would have thought I got an Academy Award for that line. Of course, I didn't. Uh, I said the problem is. And and you know I'm a person that will say what he means, even if it's back then as a kid. I said, the problem is that the way the curriculum, how the curriculum is structured, and the way you teach reading, and the way you you teach mathematics, etc., literally takes all the life, the joy, and the discovery out of it. And so... I find that it's very hard for me to concentrate because I'm I'm very bored. Here's somebody go I didn't use different word than ADD Back then, but they were 20, 20, 20, oh, We should diagnose him for ADD. Why should we diagnose him for ADD? Because he's bored with our inane and insipid teaching curriculum. That's why. So the problem wasn't. I knew from my IQ test the problem wasn't right now. I said, well, you know, some we have some students who are good at reading and, 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 uh, you know, lousy at math. Could that be the problem? I said, generally speaking, I usually do pretty well on anything that is explained to me, uh, not in a robot-like manner. I I generally do pretty well on things that are explained to me, uh, in a way that engages me that captures my imagination that excites me, and most of all, I usually do really, really well in any subject which you know ignites my passion that 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 you know kind of like fall in love with that i, I, I that i 'm really into so you see what I was doing was exposing the real problem: your curriculum is robotic, bureaucratic, dry, and dead. The reason me and I suspect many others, except for me, it's a big, it's a big giant IQ jump. I, I said the reason I think a lot of people may be having difficulty is is the way, your approach to, to to mathematics for some people, or for some people, your approach to uh, reading is very. And I would use words like this: devoid of life. Okay, and I wasn't trying to show off. I was just speaking in Paul McGuire's normal everyday. Home language, and I guess I did it in part to, to say, Hey, in my house, we speak in a very high level, not we're not snooty, but we speak in a high level. I'm surrounded by you know really intelligent people, and I didn't drop names i said but but you know i don't th- I'm deprived of all that here you know i said I, I I would really love to have a teacher just one day who would actually take the time when I raise my hand to actually teach me how to finish this particular equation. Not just say two sentences and walk off and leave me just stuck in the mud, because that's what they would do. Raise my hand, they'd come over, and they'd say blah, 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 blah. I would have no idea in the world what they were trying to teach me. None. None. And so, again, they blamed it on me. Now, but then they had another problem as we ended the meeting. At the end of the meeting, they were in a no-win situation because by the end of the meeting, they were now cornered. I wasn't trying. I wasn't manipulating. I think I was too naive for that. But by the end of the meeting, they had a problem because, and I heard him mention it, how do, how do we justify having a student who, who tests at a, at a third-grade uh, high school level How do do we justify that? How do do we justify that in our classrooms, in this school, we have the third highest academically rated student in, in, in half of the state of California? Well, you can't justify it. He either lost his brain as he went into the classroom, or you failed in the actual execution not failed you dismally failed in the actual execution of uh of, of teaching because he just told you what the problem was and so so I won't even tell you the answer it was so insulting they they sent me oh you know what they did they sent me back into the high achievers class which I've been there before and I got booted out because they didn't want to teach me they wanted to they wanted to fulfill the homework fulfill the assignment and go home and so the whole my academic experience was rather agonizing. Point is, you cannot allow that to happen to you in your life in any way, shape, or form ever. And you cannot, you have to be an advocate for your children. Or if you know of some child that you love and care for, and you know they're getting bullied I'm not talking about the stupid bullying program, but they're being bullied by teachers, mostly by being bullied by curriculum. You know, kids are terrified to speak in classrooms because, God forbid, they should say something that would innu- innuendo the fact that there is a God, they'll be shut down and bullied. So you you have to know what you're talking about. You don't have to know everything, but you have to know your strategic—you would just write down what, you're, what you think they're going to say, what you're going to say, and just write down what the facts are that, that you know. And if you stay on the battlefield that you created with your pen and your mind, you have a very good chance of winning. Because you see, once you go all over the place, they're going to take you down. Because they, they argue with hysterical, irrational parents all day long. And they can see you coming a mile away, and they're going to take you down so fast it'll make their head spin. There, Do you understand that the principals and the teachers have been trained in Psychological techniques of manipulation that are designed to control, manipulate, embarrass, and dominate the consensus and the thinking of the parents. Do you understand that? Because you better understand, it or you're going to be one embarrassed mom or dad. They'll take you down. That's their job. There are powerful organizations that want you taken down because they want you to be identified as the religious wacko. Okay. So the final thing. So how how is it? All that that you ended up with the third highest uh, academic uh, uh, achievement level. Uh, How come your reading? You're in third grade. How come your reading uh, is coming in at a third grade? uh, uh, Not third grade. How come your uh, academic level is coming in at a uh, uh, third year high school student ready to enter college? How come your reading and writing and all that stuff is 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 not only is it the, the third highest in, in half of the state of California, but it's it's like it's, it's mind-blowingly high. How come? And, and I simply answered, I didn't learn how to read at all from this school. That if it was up to this school, I I I, I would be basically Ill- illiterate. I learned how to read because my hobby is to go to, nobody forces me to, my hobby is to go to the library several times a week, check out a whole bunch of books, find subjects that I'm interested in, like science and physics and science fiction, genetics, and and read them. And I have been doing this since the youngest ages. uh, When my mother first began to read to me on her lap, I was a little little kid. I said, so I didn't really learn how to read in the school system. I didn't learn how to read here in the school. I learned how to read because my mother read to me and I learned how to read because I loved reading books and I read books. And that love of reading books uh, made me like a super reader. Whereas when I would attend your, your classroom sessions on on how to be a good reader and improving reading scores. I mean, couldn't even concentrate. I was so bored. That probably wasn't the wisest thing to say. But you're fighting for the life and the mind of your children. Remember, knowledge is power. If, the, if you you allow them to dumb down your child's mind, you're potentially allowing them to dumb down your child's future. You can't do that before God. You've got to take a stand, and don't wave a flag telling everybody you're taking a stand. That's the fastest way to be taken down. You've got to take a stand for what you believe in, but you've got to do it in a stealth-like manner. You've got to be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You know, what's going to happen in this nation in the next couple of months? Most people aren't ready for it. I'll give you a hint. It's going to hit this nation like a hurricane. And we're not supposed to be sitting there picking our noses, wondering what to do. If you read history, if you read books, if you input your mind with credible content, you will know exactly what to do and exactly what's coming and exactly how to respond to it. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Go to paulmcguire.us. Order in sequence the books. Build yourself a super brain. I'm serious. By the way, I, I never, ever in my life, and I'm a big reader, I have never put a demand on myself in my own life. I have never, like said, Paul McGuire, you have to read a book, whether it's a fictional book or a nonfiction book or whatever it is. Paul McGuire, you have to read a book in sequence and order. Why do I have to read a book in sequence and order? Well, that's the way the author wrote it. So that's the way you're supposed to do it. That may work for you. I'll read the book upside down if I want to. I'm enjoying the book. Why? Right? If I'm already enjoying the book, reading the book out of its own, out of a different order, I'm going to do it. And by the way, I've written forty six books. I read my own books completely out of order, because by the time I read my books, I've read it in proofreading and stuff like that so many times. The last thing I want to do. Is is read my books in 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 the same order I've been editing them for for month after month after month, and this really bothers a lot of people. When I speak to a conference, whether it's a small church of a couple hundred people, or five thousand people, or twenty five thousand people, or whatever, no matter how hard I try. See, you got to pick a, a a mode that that syncs up with your brain. When I read. Uh, No, no, excuse me, when I speak at a conference or whatever, give a Bible minister, give a presentation or whatever. Remember one thing. I'm always researching and studying the Bible, current events and everything. I'm always involved in that activity twenty-four-seven. So let's start from there. Foundation of my life is that there is never a time when Paul McGuire is not studying the Word of God, researching, writing, thinking about it and going over it in my mind and applying it to a, to a huge diversity of areas, from genetics to, to, to uh, Armageddon or whatever. There's never a time in a 24-7 period where I'm not actively engaged in that learning process. So because I'm actively engaged in that learning process, when I read a book or when I speak, a message, a sermon, a Bible conference message. And this bothers some people, because I don't think in a linear fashion. I speak, but I I don't speak... Oh, I know. I never use... I might have a couple of index cards, but as as a rule, I never use notes. I never take extensive notes, ever. Every time I have violated my personal rule of not taking notes... I crash and burn and and go down planes. And and what I mean, God still uses it, but he only uses it a fraction of the degree that he could have used it had I gotten out of the way and and let it rip in a free flow of consciousness, knowledge, and learning. Now now first of all, I understand the way my mind works. The way my mind works is atypical. So it would be it would be uh, presumptuous of me to point my finger at any of you or all of you and say, you need to change your reading, writing, comprehension, comprehension, and speaking styles to to the one I use. Because that may not be the way your brain is neurologically wired. And if you choose to use somebody else's style or modality, you may end up crashing and burning and and destroying your own message. You gotta, your friends will help you believe, it. your wife or husband, or married will help, you. but you gotta discover or practice speaking to a small group of people. That's how I started. You've got to key in on your God given style and you go from there. Okay? I remember speaking at a really giant conference, massive amount of people were waiting. And so I was feeling guilty because I was not methodically taking enough notes, and I had notes up the Wazoo, and I'm, 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 you know, going over my notes. And my whole thing is I'm feeling guilty that I'm not taking more notes. I, I don't have my thing in a more organized format, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so finally, no matter how hard I tried, I could not superglue my message together in a coherent, logical, rational form. It would, that, that modality of speaking would not work for me. It would not work for me. No matter how much I tried, it would not work for me. So what I finally did, I mean, minutes before I was going to go and speak, minutes before I was going to go and speak, I had to make a radical change because I, I, my brain was not locking in on this pedantic this uh, type style. I just couldn't flick with it. So I i um, radically changed my approach at the last minute. So forget it. This isn't working. I, I, I threw my notes on the floor. No, I took my notes with me just in case, and I, I ran to the stage. The stage was a giant hotel. The stage was a very, very, very long distance from the where the room and I don't know where I had the energy, but I ran like a like a like a track runner from one side of the hotel to the other. Then I ran behind the stage. OK, I mean, I had to run because I, I they were literally saying, and now here's Paul McGuire. Okay. I, and and. I had my notes there because I was going to go with my notes. OK. And I'm about ready to say my first sentence. I can't say anything. This is like a half a second. so Nobody really noticed. I couldn't say anything. But that's because I was forcing myself to use my old style. Then I said, forget it. And I picked up this big, thick pile of notes, and I placed it on one side of the podium. And I looked at the audience, engaged them in the eyes. I was just myself, like I was talking to people at Starbucks or something. And then for like two and a half hours straight, not long for me, I let it rip. I just let it rip, spontaneous flow. They were laughing their heads off. You could hear a pin drop at times. People were weeping and sobbing as as God was ministering to them. Uh, I could sense the power of the Holy Spirit ministering to people. And most of all, which is gratifying to a minister, I could sense that the Lord was anointing my message, that the Lord was anointing my message with his power. And by the time I finished, there were like, the host of the conference said to me, he had something like it was 500 or 700 people They had run out of room because my first talk, immediately after my first talk, my second talk was scheduled. So so they, they were unprepared for the wild, enthusiastic acceptance of my first talk. And the place was packed out. And they had 700 people extra banging on the doors of this large conference hall trying to get in, but they couldn't get in because there was no room left. And the guys already booked a huge conference. So I realized I have to be me. Just because so-and-so says I need to do this or so-and-so says I need to do that, I've got to be myself. I've got to be the man that God created me to be. And I remember as I was walking out of there, their producer talked to me and gave me some advice, which I did not ask for his advice, by the way. I probably had the largest audience of anybody in the conference the exception, maybe, of one guy who was famous, but the reason he had a large audience was because he was—he was already a well, well-known guy. And, and and the guy, the guy meant well. He meant—he he meant well. He was really trying to help me. I'm not putting him down. He meant well. But what he said, Paul, I, you know, I don't know what it is, you know, or how your brain works or whatever. He said, but what he was trying to do was to get me back in that rigid, straight, and now one, two, three, four, five type of pacing and, you know, uh, use the PowerPoint uh, adhere to the notes, which is great, which you should do. Most people think like that. That's the way most people's brains work. And he was trying to be helpful, but, but you see, he's never been on my side of the fence. And my brain doesn't work in that other neurological modality. It just will flatten the creativity, the flow, the the bonding, all the stuff which regularly pack out the places where I minister would cease to function if I was doing it the way everybody else throughout the years have told me I should do it. Okay? When I stopped doing it the way I was told to do it and went the way that God told me to do it through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is the day my ministry exploded. I know this is one long-winded, but here's the key. Okay, you want to plug in to who you who God created you to be. You want to plug in to the learning style, the brain style, the modality that that functions the way God created you to synchronize with. In anything in life, you're not going to excel. You're not going to to raise up with wings as eagles. You're not going to you take off running you're not going to bear the fruit that you could potentially bear you're not going to release the power that you could potentially release if you're following somebody else's cake and bake formula to the T. now some people are great cooks and they don't need a cake and bake formula they're just good and I've eaten some of their food I, I had I, I don't want to get into this girl's apple pie I had this apple pie at Thanksgiving my god I thought I went to, to the lunar landscape and, and geodesic dome that looked like paradox. It was outrageous. Anyway, sorry to say we're out of time. Get the books in sequence. Read them the way I read them, any way you want to read them. I promise you, you will, if you will read this series of books that I've offered you at a discount, I I guarantee to you, I don't have to make a guesstimate, that, that the reading of these books will literally raise your IQ percentage by, let's be really conservative. You read through them once, However long it takes you, it'll raise your IQ percentage by 5% in the right areas. It's not going to raise your IQ percentage in an area of how to function and act like a nerd. But in life itself, it will raise your IQ percentage to minimum 5%. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us.